0: are you ready to make the right moves and unlock your passion welcome to from the inside out with your host carla d walker to be your best self in your personal life and your business life all you need to do is look within yourself now here is carla d walker
1: good
2: morning world how are you i'm doing fantastic it has been a great week Uh, And I hope you've had a fantastic week as well since the last time uh, we were together. Happy Earth Day for those of you who celebrated Earth Day uh, yesterday. And hopefully you are, if you haven't started recycling, that's one of the things I hope you're starting to do or doing something to show your gratitude to Mother Earth. And so that we can make sure we have clean water, clean air, uh, and uh, can live a long and prosperous and healthy life uh, here on earth. My wish for you this morning is that you are able to find and share love and let someone know today how you appreciate them. Show your gratitude uh, to them um, even show, be, show an act of kindness to someone that you don't know. Uh, show an act of kindness to that person maybe you walk by every day and never speak to. Maybe speak to them. Share your smile. Share your warmth. Uh, it will be reciprocated uh, 10 times. Uh, but I hope you are having a fantastic day. I hope you are beginning to see Uh, some of the fruits of your labor you've been working hard these last few months working on your goals trying to live your best life trying to improve upon uh things in your life and so my wish for you is that you've begun to see some of those fruits and that you're feeling good about it and and even if you even if you have some setbacks that you're looking at those, not as something that are stopping you, but an opportunity to pause and reflect and to get back on track. Uh, Cause I know that you have it inside you uh, to be the best that you possibly can be to meet your goals. And you have the capability and the ability and the potential to be as great as you want to be and as successful as you want to be. So with that, um, today, we have uh, a fabulous guest. Uh, he is an author of eight books. Uh, the book we're going to talk about today, which is the Soulful Leader, Soulful Leader, uh, read this book. This is a good book. Uh, read it. There's a lot of um, information. I mean, it's it's, it's not very long. But I tell you what, in the 80-something pages, almost 90 pages, he gives you a lot of information and a lot of things to think about and things that you can use as you are uh, going through your life. And if you're looking at trying to be that soulful leader, um, and uh, so his name is Dr. Arthur P. Sarah McCauley. And we've got Dr. Sarah McCauley on the line. How are you doing, Doc?
1: Thank you. Thank you, Carla. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Uh, Can you just tell our leaders a little bit about who you are and and maybe why you decided to write this book?
1: Sure. Well, I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been in practice for over 35 years. I was on the faculty of Harvard Medical School for several years. I was also chief psychologist of Metro West Medical Center for 25 years and also director of an alternative medicine center that we opened at that hospital at one point. The last 10 years, Carla, I've been basically in full-time private practice and writing. Uh, Why did I write this book, The Soulful Leader? Because I'm I'm so very concerned, as I know many Americans are, and actually many people throughout the world, with leadership. Uh, We know that we have toxic leaders in business and in the political world. We know that there's been a lack of ethics in the last few years, that integrity is down, narcissism is up, empathy is less for other people. And mm-hmm. as you said, I mean, your, your your inspirational beginning was to reach out to other people. But I think we've, we've evolved with leaders who are more divisive than they are mm-hmm. connecting one side to the other. So yes. I'm very concerned about our culture and, and the direction that we're going. And uh, I, you know, most studies now indicate that over 70% of American workers are awake at night, waking in the middle of the night due to stress and unhappiness in their jobs and unhappiness with the leadership that they have to report to.
2: Yes, very true, very true. And so part of your book does identify, does talk about those behaviors or those things that people can do or demonstrate uh, Mm -hmm. to help to uh, evolve even more in terms of their leadership. And that's either in business or the political world, but even leadership in your family uh, as well. Uh, So this is something that can be used um, uh, regardless of what stage in life you are, Uh, but it gives you a lot of things to think about. And I also, what I really liked about uh, your book was at the end, there's a questionnaire, isn't it in the appendix about mm-hmm. um, authenticity, uh, integrity, leadership, and performance addiction, which is something you know we'll we'll talk about very shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but those things also help you think through uh, insula- it kind of gives you an uh, opportunity to look inside yourself mm-hmm. and identify those, uh, perhaps um, characteristics or, or things that maybe you need to uh, rethink or give you an opportunity to pat yourself on the back uh, mm-hmm. so you can continue doing those behaviors that are working for you, that are working in a positive manner. So mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. Uh, can you tell us what are the characteristics of a soulful leader?
3: Well,
1: a soulful leader Carla is a person who lives with purpose and expresses a desire to be of service. He or she is not primarily motivated by status or image, but they have a natural interest in making the most of all the people they encounter. Soulful leaders lead with passion. They're intimately aware of the structure of their organizations. They're interested in motivating from what I call from the bottom up, not from the top down. Mm -hmm. They know who cleans their offices. They know who mows the lawn. They know who the receptionists are, who the secretaries are. They might know something about their families. They speak Mm -hmm. to everyone, and no person is seen as less valuable than anyone else. Soulful people lead balanced lives also. You know, they work with intensity, but they know how to play as well. They know how to turn the dial down. They Mm -hmm. have what I call a dimmer switch they can turn the dial down when it doesn't need to be on they have an inherent love of young people they love to educate to witness the blossoming of young talent they're the voice of reason in the face of conflict which is very important they're not quick reactors they rather thoughtful contributors they know how to listen they know how to listen with empathy so that they they become generally interested in understanding not only those who are like them but also those who are on the surface seem different than them. They're known for finding the common ground. And they take in information from diverse sources. They, they expect to continue to gain information about themselves, their world, and, and, and human beings throughout their lives. They expect to revise theories, change perspectives as new learning takes place. And they're mm-hmm. not wedded to one way of thinking or one way of being or one way of leading. They're always interested in learning. And they Mm -hmm. realize and willingly accept that in order to live a healthy, high-achieving life, they have to adapt to change. Mm
3: -hmm. And they
1: are lovers of diversity. And we Mm -hmm. we know from credible research that diverse groups are far more productive and and far more creative than when we're just preaching to the choir when you have people that are just pretty much like yourself. So they Mm -hmm. understand that diversity is good for an organization. Mm
2: -hmm. Doctor, uh, and and so, Dr., Doctor C, one of the things that you mentioned uh, early on, in that cause that that was a, a great, uh, very detailed, I think, uh, definition or uh, in terms of characteristics of what a soulful leader is. But uh, that wasn't something that you necessarily got out of out of books or studying, as I remember. You have a story in your in your book as well about this is a lesson you learned from your
3: father.
1: Yeah. That was uh, one of my first lessons, Carla, as a young man. I, I was working in the hospital that I mentioned before, and I had become the chief psychologist, so I was uh, proud of myself, and I wanted my parents to come in and see the sign in front of my door and so forth. And My office was at the end of a very long corridor. The elevator was on the opposite side, and when my parents got off the elevator, this was on a Friday evening, I, I was waiting for them to come when my work was finished. And when they got off the elevator... They saw a man cleaning the floors, and I noticed my father was down there talking to him for five or six minutes. And I, I couldn't figure out why he wasn't coming down to see, to see me and to see, you know, my new accomplishment. But anyway, he came down, he looked at the sign, and he shook my hand and said, congratulations. And he said, do you know the man at the end of the hall? I said, no. no. He said, well, go down and introduce yourself and find out who he is and where he's from and if he has a family and start a conversation with him. He cleans your floors. He cleans your mm. toilet. Go down there and meet him. So I went down and I, you know, was a little confused, but I went down and I was kind of embarrassed that I hadn't introduced myself before, kind of, you know, mm. taken away with my own self. Sure. And I introduced myself to Rodrigo and uh, we, for, for 13 years, became very good friends. On mm. Friday nights when everything was, was finished on that floor, we would mm-hmm. sit around and either I'd get the coffee or he'd get the coffee and we'd talk about life and him coming here from Brazil and bringing his family here and how appreciative he was to be in America and have the work that he had. And uh, actually over those years, I think I learned much more from him than he ever learned from me.
2: Hmm. Wow, wow. So it's important not to miss the people behind the scenes. Yeah. So Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so while you may be... Uh, um, sort of puffed up in your glory in terms of what your accomplishments you can't forget all the people who are around you who helped you get there right?
1: that's right and and you know when you when you're a person that has a high level role and you walk by people and don't speak to them very much Mm -hmm. as you said earlier when you wave to people they will wave back Mm -hmm. you said tenfold and I absolutely agree with you when we're when we're shy and within ourselves, and we don't even make eye contact, um, we don't see the goodness in other people. We right. don't even appreciate it, nor do we facilitate it. So when you come into a building, no matter who you are, you should be speaking to everyone. Yes. You know, years ago we yes. were opening a. Yes, I geriatric totally agree
2: with you. Unit.
1: Years ago we were op- opening a, geri- a geriatric unit, and I was told that this man that I was going to interview, he was from Harvard Medical School, and he. He mm-hmm. Published a number of papers. Said, "Oh, he's most likely he'll be your candidate." So it was snowing pretty hard here in the Boston area, and I I came in and I through these doors and then I noticed this woman on a walker was, you know, quite a ways behind me. But the yeah. the next person in in the three piece suit, you know, he he actually rather than holding the door open for her, he slammed it on the walker, and I went. Wow. out. He was a little uneasy, and I helped her in. And then I went up to my office, and then my receptionist said, oh, the, the person that you're going to interview is ready. I said, so he came in, and it was the same person. And I, and I looked at him, and I said, I think we've met before. I think we've had contact before. He said, no, we haven't. I said, I was the person that was in front of you when you allowed the door to slam on that elderly woman. Mm. And he said, well, I was in a rush. And you see, his character was revealed more so than his resume.
3: Yeah.
1: Needless, to say, needless to say, I didn't hire him.
3: Good for
2: you, because <laughs> there are people who would have hired him anyway because of his skills.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, his, he didn't have the character to work with the elderly, that's for sure.
2: Yeah. So, I, also, what you're leading toward, I, I think it's a little about the importance of being authentic, and particularly of yeah. being authentic in business. So, can you tell us a little more about that?
1: Well, you know, authentic, authenticity attracts others, and it creates a sense of connection and security. Mm-hmm. And it enhances a sense of trust to negotiate and work together with other people. Mm-hmm. We, we sense when people are not being real. Pretense does the opposite of authenticity. Pretense makes people feel uncomfortable. Mm. Because after a while, you can sense that this, this person doesn't really care about you as a human being. All they're trying to do is manipulate you into signing a contract or doing business with them.
3: So, mm-hmm.
1: authenticity relaxes people, it makes them feel more trusting, it also changes brain chemistry. You know, when we're authentic, and this book is about AI leadership, authenticity, integrity, and empathy. Right. When we're authentic, when we're empathic, we actually change the brain chemistry of each other. We produce oxytocin, which is a near miracle neurotransmitter that makes people feel trust, it makes them feel generous, makes them feel secure. It makes them feel happy. And mm-hmm. happy people are more creative and more productive. So when you're authentic and empathic, you're creating an environment. You may not even realize it, but you're actually creating a brain change that makes people want to be together. It makes people want to come to work. It makes people want to work for you.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you also talked about happy people in your book where you said uh, happy people are more successful, but mm-hmm. uh, successful people are not quite are quite unhappy not knowing how to uh, how to convert and help uh, their employees thrive. Uh, yeah. what do you, what uh, what do you mean by that by that?
1: Well it, when when you are relating with integrity and you're not demeaning to the people who work for you mm-hmm. you you are again creating a brain change. And you create a brain change in the entire environment, which ultimately produces higher productivity and profits. You know, there's a consulting group in England. It's called the Lady mm-hmm. Geek Consulting Group. They rate companies across the globe for the level of empathy they have in their environments, in the work environment. And mm-hmm. the top ten companies increase value twice as much as the bottom ten. You know, why is that? Because A.I.V.E. leaders cause positive brain changes, not only in themselves, but in others, and they create that high-spirited atmosphere. It mm-hmm. naturally allows for productivity and financial and market results to rise, because when people are happy, they perform better. They, they're not feeling tense. You know, 70% of Americans in the cor- Americans in the corporate world said that they are reluctant to ask a leader a question. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they feel like the answer they get are usually demeaning, and mm-hmm. so if if I talk down to you, if I'm condescending to you, if I can't give you the time of day, you're not going to want to talk to me. But sure. can you imagine seven out of ten people in a business being afraid to ask a CFO or a CEO a question?
2: Oh yeah, because they think it'll it will impact their performance review or rating or monetarily or how the leader looks at them. That's I, yeah. Right. I, Okay. Yeah, I, I have felt that way sometimes in, in businesses where I don't want to ask a question because I don't want to, to people to think I'm stupid. And so I have I have sometimes had to do a lead in and say, I'm not asking you this because, you know, I don't want you to think I'm stupid, but, you know, here it is. Or you'll hear people say, I'm going to ask this stupid question or I know it's stupid, but um and, and part of that is because you don't want people to perceive you or look at you differently.
1: Yes, that, and that's absolutely true, Carla, but if you're in an environment where you know no question is stupid, mm-hmm. no inquiry is, is to look, be looked down upon, and that we are free-flowing and no one is demeaning of anyone else, mm-hmm. so that people start to open up. And when we open up, looks, all of us ask stupid questions sometimes, or maybe we're not concentrating as much as we need to be. But mm-hmm. when you feel comfortable, you become more creative, and you can make mistakes I call it imperfect success, mm. you know, you, a company that's imperfectly successful. We, mm-hmm. We're going to make mistakes. Soulful right. leaders make mistakes. But you know what? They acknowledge their mistakes. They don't mm-hmm. lie about them. And that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing in the corporate and political world mm-hmm. now among leaders, this, this tendency to lie and backpedal rather than just saying, you know what, Carla, I was wrong yesterday. I'm sorry yeah. the way I spoke to you. That was inappropriate of me. I, I truly apologize most right. likely you'd forgive me and we'd move on.
2: Exactly, exactly. But we spend so many time covering up the story, or the last story that we told, we often often find themselves so stressed out because they can't remember which lie they told first and That's then right. where did it go from there?
1: That's right, and and when you're a toxic leader and we know that you know the trust in business mm-hmm. leaders right now in our country is in an all-time low because of unethical behavior, and when you yes. lie and cover yourself all the time, you're right. You can't even track it anymore. You don't even know what you said.
2: Yeah. So what we're going to do right now is, I mean, this is a great discussion, but we're gonna, and we are we want to get to performance addiction and, and what that is. And really kind of define empathy uh, and talk a little more about the uh, soulful learning and, and the soulful organization. Um, and we'll do that as soon as we come back from break.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: It's time for you to take a sweet and honest look at your life. Tune into Living Within the Sweet Spot with your host, Nikki Klegel. Each week, Nikki invites you to call into the program where she will connect with each listener to show the power of God's love in every unique instance. There are gracious gifts and elements of power within each one of us. You just need to discover them and find your life's purpose, live healthier and happier. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment.
4: We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others.
0: Tuned into From the Inside Out. To reach Carla Walker or her guest today, call us at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Carla Walker from the inside out at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
2: Hey, welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Sierra McCauley. And uh, we're talking about his new book, The Soulful Leader. I think you should go pick it up today. Uh, I want to ask Dr. C. Dr. C about performance addiction, something that he identifies in his book. And what's the connection with performance addiction and perfectionists, perfectionism? And can you have performance addiction without being a perfectionist?
1: Um, performance addiction and perfectionism uh, go together. Carla, they're really highly correlated because performance addicts really believe that they can perfect their way into happiness. Uh, you know, mm. performance addiction is the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will bring love and respect. It's an mm. irrational belief system that it begins in in, the, in our families, mm. and then it's it's reinforced by our culture. And mm. it, it rather than listening to, to just the surface of what someone else is saying. It the performance addiction, performance addicts hardly ever go beyond the surface. And that therefore they're usually stressed and they tend to always compare and contrast themselves to others and unfortunately they drive their spouses, their their kids and their employees crazy because they're always doing that to them to the other people in their lives as well. So they're highly tense. They tend to be People who know how to achieve, but they don't know how to love.
3: Ah,
2: wow. And and love is something that you talk about um, also that is important, uh, particularly as it relates to empathy,
3: correct?
1: Yes. Performance addicts um, engage in what I call image love. You know, image love is based on a superficial attraction to appearance Mm -hmm. and status. So if Mm -hmm. your resume reads well and you look well, they may think they love you or they want to be with you. But true love is based on loving a person's character, knowing Mm -hmm. the other person in depth, who they really are, which is why performance addicts marriages hardly ever last or they hardly ever go Mm -hmm. to a certain depth of love. Because once the resume is tainted they start to feel differently i had a couple here who moved here from california not long ago the the fellow was a cfo and he actually married his receptionist who was 23 years younger Mm. and um they came out here to massachusetts because the company he was working for their product didn't it, it didn't come to market in the way that they had hoped and the company was failing so he left that company and came to boston to work for a startup Long okay. story short, he got laid off from that company because the startup failed as well. And they came into marital therapy. She called me and she wanted to meet with me and see if I could help them. They came in and she told me that, I mean, right from the beginning, she said, well, I just don't have that in love feeling anymore. I mean, I used to look at him in a three-piece suit presenting, giving talks in front of 2,000 people. He was so impressive. Now mm-hmm. I come home and he's in sweatpants looking on the computer for work.
3: She hmm. said, I,
1: I, just, I just don't feel the same. So what was that? I mean, that was image love. She didn't really love who he was. Mm. I mean, the fellow actually was a very nice person and and, and actually had a a sense of kindness to his personality, but he fell on some bad times. He fell on some bad times, and she didn't love him anymore. So did she ever love him in the beginning? No. It was what I call image love, and it comes from that performance addiction that love is about status and appearance. It's not about truly knowing another human being.
2: Well, now we built a whole industry on that,
3: right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we yeah. see it all the time. I, 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 I wonder if it makes me wonder if some of our younger um, uh, folks are going to have problems because they have gotten so ingrained in that industry. I mean, we talk about the the YouTubes and the podcasts where they're trying to uh, change their body image, uh, where they're getting plastic surgery to try to look like certain celebrities. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. all about the, the surface part. And yeah. I think... Um, there may be some issue or some problems in terms of communicating um, with, with some of our uh, young folks because they spend so much time within technology or on technology that there's been very little time in a real relationship talking one-to-one, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball.
1: Yes, I mean, Karlo, that that's such an important, important, critically important point because, you know, I stopped in a little restaurant on Saturday the other day just to get a quick bite to eat well, I was coming home from the gym and i'm at the I'm at the bar just ordering a sandwich and a and a coffee and there are four people at the bar at at this restaurant sitting at the bar two parents and two maybe thirteen fourteen year old kids. Do you know for the whole forty minutes I was there, all four of them were on their phones the whole time
2: the whole wow. time Wow. We don't see. Do we see each other? I often wonder. Do they do they see each other? Do they really feel each other's pain? Do they do they look in each other's eyes? Do they say anything? Talk to each other outside of you know, hi, how you doing, or <laughs> can you help me with this?
1: Yes, um, I mean, if if you don't look directly at another human being, how can you even see them and understand them? I mean, these are four people that even in each other's presence, they were on their phones.
3: Yeah yeah is
1: this saying that you know technology is more entertaining than being with another human being
2: what is that saying about us and what you think about the people that surround you with if, if the yeah. technology on the phone is more interesting or more important than the person you're sitting next to there's a problem. <laughs>
1: Well, one of my clients is, is a CFO, and he was telling me last week that in a meeting, one of his pet peeves is that people are on their phones in the meeting while people are talking. Yes. And he got up and stood up, and, and he said, I probably shouldn't have done it, but I slammed my, my hand on the, on the desk and said, done. Put your phones down. Everyone, yeah. do not ever come in this meeting again with a phone. Yeah. Nobody's listening. You're all typing and checking your emails. We're here for a purpose. Yeah. Put your phones down.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I had a situation where I was working and we worked in cute where I was working in a corporation, we were working in cubicles and uh was asked well, a person behind me, instead of turning around and just tapping me on the shoulder or asking me something, sent me an email <laughs> to ask me a question. <laughs> I had to turn around and say, Really? <laughs> you couldn't just ask it? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that, but yeah. but that, does that create or feed into the performance addiction um, and lack of empathy that people tend to have?
1: Yes, because it feeds into the, the status piece of performance addiction. You know, that's why I have a mm-hmm. performance addiction quiz at the end of the book. Right. And, you know, most people test in the high range when they take that quiz because... Just as you're you're saying, Carla, I mean, it means that we don't really encounter each other.
3: Mm -hmm. And as
1: a leader, we don't really encounter our employees either. Or even a leader of our family, we don't encounter our kids.
3: Mm -hmm. Because
1: we're not doing what you just said, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, looking at another human being. To see the cues.
3: To see, Mm -hmm.
1: you know, the nonverbal. To -hmm. understand the whole picture, the whole person. We're missing that and we've become a society that we focus so much on character we focus so much on status and image that we've lost touch of character and integrity.
3: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: Now you 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 can you just
2: give us a quick definition because I think people sometimes confuse empathy with sympathy.
1: Well, sympathy, Carla, is is a rushing into console. Mm-hmm. Empathy slows down a process to try to understand the facts. It's very fact-oriented. Mm-hmm. And, and people do get confused with one and the other. I'll give you an example. For instance, in one of my leadership and communication groups, I added a woman a few weeks ago uh, who was divorced, and she, is going through a divorce. And she came in and one of the women asked her, you know, how, Joy, how come you're here? And she said, well, you know, going through a divorce and uh, I want to improve my relationship skills. Mm -hmm. and uh and i i'm in the business world and i also want to improve my leadership skills as well and another woman who had just gone through a very contentious divorce in the last year rushed in immediately and said you need to get a high high high-powered attorney you need to go to boston i'll i have names of high-powered attorneys you you know your husband they they try to rip you off in court and she went on and on and the woman was just sort of kind of stunned and then one of the fellows he was frowning and i said what, why are you frowning? He said, We don't even know what the nature of her marriage is. And already right. we're telling her to get a high powered attorney. Right. So he looked at her and he said, What is the nature of your marriage? She said, You know what? I was pregnant as a senior in high school. We got married because we thought we had to. My husband is a wonderful human being and he's been a wonderful father to our daughter. But we've never been in love. And we're in a, mm-hmm. We're 40, you know, we're, we're approaching our late 40s. We want to see if we can actually be in love. We've never had the experience. We don't need high powered attorneys. We don't need any attorneys. We've gone to an arbitrator who's just helped us work out the details of the the splitting up our assets, and we're fine. Mm -hmm. So you see, one was sympathy, the rushing in, assuming that your experience is like my experience. My mm-hmm. divorce was terrible, so yours must have been must be terrible too. The other, mm-hmm. the man's reaction was, "We don't have any of the facts. What mm-hmm. are the facts?" He was asking an open-ended question, which is the heart and soul of empathy.
2: Mm-hmm. I see. We we see a lot of that. Uh, and we hear a lot of that on, on the news or on uh, uh, a lot of the talk shows where people immediately rush to judgment. I mean, there seems to be not only a lack of empathy, and maybe there's a connection, you can tell us, between being empathetic and being tolerant um, of other people. I mean, we seem to, to immediately, somebody says something, uh, and we immediately rush to judgment that there's something negative or sinister behind that. Uh, as opposed to asking further questions to try to understand. Yes. I, I, I worked for a Japanese company at one time, and they said, you know, we, we seek to understand. You know, I'm listening to understand, yes. as yes. opposed to immediately coming up with a, co- a solution or a conclusion and, yes. and acting in that manner.
1: And, and that is very much, as you say, the environment that we're in. Quick mm. conclusions. We're always looking for the negative, and we know that people are lacking integrity and lying on the air all the time and you know lying is one of the one of the behavioral acts that enters the the heart and mind of of the receiver and is never forgotten you know mm-hmm. when you're lying and, and a leader lies and you know that person is lying it changes your relationship forever people never forget when they're lied to they just don't they they can tell you the times they've been lied to throughout their lives and we mm-hmm. see that in the media all the time. People come, in, people come in to me and they say, oh, you know, uh, this new supplement does this. And I say, how do you know that? Well, I heard it on uh, this show or that show. And I said, well, do you know what studies were done? Did indicate that? No, not really. I had a fellow come in and he was taking some new diet product and he said he had lost six pounds in a week, it's great. And he showed me the label and I looked at it and I said, do you know that it has three diuretics in it? Three herbs mm. that are diuretics? He said, well, I am urinating a lot, and I said, well, of course you are, (laughs) because all you're doing is taking a diuretic. You're going to gain the weight back, but he saw it on TV, yeah, and it was a celebrity who was advertising it, so he bought it. Mm. Empathy empathy would slow down that whole process. It slows everything down so that we can calm our brain, produce the oxytocin that I mentioned earlier, which allows us to discern the facts. We don't rush into anything. We don't assume because we hear, we see it online, or we see it in a website, or we we see it on TV, or a celebrity or someone, a politician, is is standing up for a particular product. We don't assume that it's true. We mm-hmm. can't assume any longer that it's true.
3: Mm
2: hmm. Mm hmm. You know that there is something you 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 mentioned in uh, chapter five of your book that I that really hit me, and I thought this that. Just totally makes sense. And you said, blamers are experts at identifying guilty people and they prey on those that they know they can convince to take responsibility for their mistakes. And that yeah. if you were taught as a child to be responsible for the behavior of others, then you will be vulnerable to leaders who unjustifiably blame and criticize.
1: Yes.
2: yes. I went, wow. Okay, that, make, that makes total sense. Total sense.
1: I think blaming, Carla, is one of the worst qualities any human being can have. Mm. Because when you're blaming, if you and I are in a friendship, and I'm always blaming every time you call me on an inappropriate thing that I've done or said, Mm -hmm. and I always have an excuse, you can never get through to me. Because it's never my fault. I never take responsibility. And when you never take responsibility, you can't grow and learn. Your personality never evolves. That's why Mm. we see people today, particularly in the corporate or political world, are in their 60s and 70s, and they're Mm -hmm. still lying and dodging the truth. Yeah. That's where this toxic leadership comes from, because they've never learned to just say, I made a mistake. Yeah. And people in marriages a blamer in a marriage it 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 just drives the other party crazy but you're absolutely right if if you're guilty you fall into it because you usually feel implicated in other people's problems anyway
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know
1: you have a hard time when you're a guilty person seeing where the, the boundary stops between you and another person so if they're blaming you you take it on and again Toxic leaders, they will find people that feel guilty. Those are the people they get to work on the weekend. Those mm-hmm. are the people they get to work 80 hours a week.
3: Uh, they're,
1: they're manipulating them all the time. They're, they identify the guilt, and then they utilize it inappropriately.
2: So we, we talk about that relative to leaders, but there are also toxic co-workers, right, who do the same thing.
1: Yes, yes, Yeah. Sure.
2: Sure. Uh, you find yourself maybe doing their work <laughs> or they implicate you somehow in in what they were responsible for. Uh, they never take uh, the responsibility of saying, like you said, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. It's always somebody else did it. It wasn't me. It was somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Because I think, as you said, I mean, that that has to do how they want to be perceived. Yeah, Uh Uh, As never as being perfect. I mean, also all seems almost to come full circle, uh, in that in that regard. Yeah. uh, Relative to that. Um. So, one of the things also uh, you talk about, you we mentioned it briefly, uh, was love, and and we're just gonna have. you know, a couple of minutes to, you know, maybe talk about this, but you say love is elusive in corporate, for corporate, uh, for corporate leaders. Why is that?
1: Well, I think, you know, many, many people in leadership positions have grown up in environments where they didn't feel good enough, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And because they're talented and capable, they learned early in life that when they achieve, when they put points on the board, they get, the attention of significant others in their lives, their parents, their coaches, whoever. If you don't receive enough compassion and empathy early in life, then you, then you come to find out, especially in our culture, that if you look good and you achieve, if you hit a home run or you get the lead role in a play, people clap for you. And all of a sudden you feel like, oh, now I finally found the way to feel good. Mm-hmm. Rather than learning, the way to connect with people is to be empathic, compassionate, kind, and that becomes reciprocal. And that's how you make truly in-depth relationships. But a lot of people, you know, I wrote a book called The Curse of the Capable, which is that capable people often have a curse because they, they have come to believe that achieving is going to bring them that sense of love and connection. And, of course, achievement isn't meant to do that. It, hmm. it, it, it isn't a way of connecting. It's a way of accomplishing a certain goal. And then when they come home into their own personal lives, they're, they're treating their spouses and their kids like, you know, I used to treat a lot of doctors when I worked in the hospital, and they would treat their, their spouses and their kids like they were nurses, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm home, and you got to do what I want you to do, or, you know, the, the king has arrived. And I think corporate leaders do the same thing. Political leaders do the same thing. So the skill to know how to love and maintain intimacy over a long period of time is very different than skill in business. People think it's the same. Oftentimes, business people who are not very ethical will say, oh, I'm not like this at home. That's not true. But a Mm. soulful leader is the same person at home as they are at work.
2: Okay. And with that, we're going to take a break and we'll come back with a conversation with Dr. Sierra McCauley. Mm
0: Tune into from the inside out to reach Carla Walker or her guest today. Call us at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Carla Walker from the inside out at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
2: Hey, we're having a great conversation while you're listening to the commercial. And one of the things we were talking about is that how, uh, relevant this particular book is for the times that we're currently living in when we're seeing leaders who seem to lie as they breathe and and re, uh, express no remorse or um, who won't admit to making a mistake. And, and Dr. C, you were saying uh, something about them not accepting diversity as well. So you want to repeat that?
1: Yes, yeah, yes, Carla. We were talking about how you know we're in a time where race relations have deteriorated. There's very little acceptance and tolerance for people who are different or seem different to a, a particular individual—different religion, different country, different origin, different ethnic background—rather than embracing it. You know, in the end, we're all more alike than we are different. And right. if you don't have a sense of extending yourself beyond your own little circle, your your world becomes so small. You, and that's what black-and-white thinking is. It's, mm. It makes your world so small. When, when, you, when you do that, you know, prejudice actually produces the stress response. Because when, hmm. when you have a prejudice towards someone, it's not based on anything but some mythical idea that you have about them. You produce <laughs> the stress response, and you produce cortisol, the stress hormone. So when you produce that stress hormone, cortisol, it, what does it do? It produces negative thinking. It produces weight gain, inflammation, hair loss. It breaks Mm -hmm. down muscle tissue. It causes Mm -hmm. depression, and it actually kills neurons in the memory center of the brain. Mm -hmm. And it actually throws off blood sugar levels, which actually contributes to weight gain.
3: So when
1: when we're not open, when we don't have an open mind and an open heart, and we're not open to the human race, we have to close down. And when you have to close down, you feel uncomfortable just sitting in a bus because everybody doesn't look like you. Mm -hmm. Everybody doesn't seem like they came from your neighborhood. But so what? If you mm-hmm. have empathy, you're open to the world. You can be dropped anywhere and make friends, because you can find the common ground. And that's mm-hmm. what soulful leaders, that's what soulful people do. When my when my mom passed away, my father looked at me, and at the wake, and he said, "You know, this is like the League of Nations. We have we have people from every race and every religion, all in this one room honoring mm-hmm. her, because that's who she was."
3: Hmm. She wow. embraced
1: difference. She didn't, she didn't walk away from it and develop resentment and hatred toward it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now,
2: you talk about um, also the sinister side to authenticity. Is there a sinister side to uh, empathy? Yes, there, there's a dark side
1: of empathy, Carla. Okay. It, um, good salesmen use empathy to manipulate others. Uh, mm-hmm. Toxic leaders use empathy to manipulate others. They, they,
3: mm-hmm.
1: We've seen in the political world how they make people feel fear. You know, you're supposed to be afraid of immigrants or people that are different than you because uh-huh. they're going to hurt you. They're all bad, bad and good. You know, that's that black and white thinking. Okay. They're on the good side. The other people are on the bad side. So empathy, you know, I wrote a book called The Power of Empathy in the year 2000, and I said Adolf Hitler had empathy. And journalists were very, you know, thought that that was awful that I said that. I didn't. I, I said it in in a chapter I call the dark side of empathy, meaning that Hitler read the minds and the souls of the German people. He knew mm-hmm. what they longed to hear. It wasn't that he really cared for them, but he he knew what they wanted to hear so he could get ahead. Um, okay. And you know, I, when I wrote that book. I actually was with eight of my close friends uh, on, on uh, sitting at, at a beach in Maine, in southern Maine, and I took out the words, the Third Reich, and Germany, and I, and I uttered about eight sentences that Hitler had said as he was rising to power. And I said, who made these comments? Do you know who they thought made the comments? The Dalai Lama, Desmond Tutu, Buddha, Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Because he talked about the soul and the spirit and we are one, he knew what to say to influence mm-hmm. them. Of course, once he pull them in, like people in a cult do, then he became very dangerous and evil. He always mm-hmm. was, but he didn't show it in the beginning. So empathy is reading other people accurately. It's, it's, it's basically everyday mind reading. And mm. he's able to do that. Good salespeople are able to do that. Corrupt politicians are able to do that. And we mm-hmm. have to have enough empathy on the other side to know when it's being done to us so that we're not manipulated.
2: Are you also, you know, you also mentioned relative to uh, rewriting your childhood story because maybe you've learned this behavior in your childhood. Um, so, can you tell us what's that's important and and the connection between between doing that and becoming a soulful leader?
1: Well, I always think that if, you know we all wrote a novel about ourselves early in life. We look into the mirrors of the significant others in our life, our parents, our coaches, our teachers, and we look to them to see who we are. We don't know who we are. But what if you're looking in a mirror that's cracked? Then you get a cracked reflection of yourself. What mm-hmm. if your mother's depressed or your father's alcoholic or, or, or they're removed or they're preoccupied and they don't give you enough understanding and empathy? Then you create a very distorted view of yourself. What if you're criticized? What if you're called stupid or told that you're not very athletic? I was Mm -hmm. told when I was a senior in high school by my guidance counselor that I wasn't college material, and now I have Mm -hmm. two doctorate degrees. So, you you know, um, I believed him at the time, and I wasn't going to go to college. I was lucky because I was an athlete and I got recruited, but other than that, I wouldn't have gone to college. I believed what he said, but I was looking into a circus mirror. It wasn't accurate. So I believe our responsibility as adults is to rewrite the book. Make it f- go from a novel to a nonfiction book. And the mm-hmm. only way we can do that is to get feedback from other people who are rational, mm-hmm. who care about us, and will tell us the truth. You mm-hmm. know, the old saying is, a good friend tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Wow. Is that
2: really a good friend? I'm sorry? I said, so, "Is that really a good friend?"
1: Well, that's a good friend if they're doing it with tact and empathy. You know, if if I look at you and I and you know, we're out to lunch and you have three beers and two shots of whiskey, I
3: mm-hmm. think I'm going
1: to say, Carla, w- what are you doing? Yeah, you know, what's going on? Yeah, rather than sitting there and pretending that it's okay and that it, I didn't even notice.
3: Well,
1: right, I, I have to notice because it, it's not your typical behavior. Something must be wrong.
2: So are you, is that the punitive internal voice uh, that you're kind of referring to that uh, the corporate leaders tend to have um, playing out because of, of what they've experienced or learned or the behaviors that they learned relative in, in their childhood? And uh, I also think about that relative to mother's guilt, whether they should yeah. go to work yeah. or stay at home. Um yeah. And, and I'm just wondering, is that do you see more of this in women than men?
1: Well, I see performance addiction in both. I think, um, in general, men are more focused on the status part. Mm-hmm. Women are most focused on the appearance part. But then there are some women who are focused on both. You know, as you said earlier, cosmetic surgery is at an all-time high. Yeah. People are obsessed about the way they look, men and women. Eating disorders have increased among men, not just women. Among men, among young boys, so we're we're seeing this pervasive throughout the culture, and it's being modeled for us every day as soon as we turn on the TV.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, um, how does uh, one create a soulful organization, and how does soulful listening? Uh, create trust and generosity with
1: others well a soulful organization is created by a leader who is empathic a great listener highly ethical with high integrity authentic as we had said before humble yet confident happy yet intensely serious when when needs to be which results in employees being committed to the organization's vision when the leader is present and when he or she is absent. You know, a great leader models that behavior, but you can see in their organization, even when they're not there, that behavior persists. Mm -hmm. Because when you're that way, you are producing brain changes, positive brain changes that may, as we talked earlier, make people happy when you listen empathically. You create a a positive brain change that makes people feel generous and and secure, and it increases trust, and it creates bonding, and it actually makes people open for love, open for connection.
2: Hmm. Okay. So, what about, um, and you may have, I think you've mentioned image love, but... How does giving to others really change your brain chemistry? I I, You've mentioned that several times, and, and uh, just if you can just quickly uh, uh, tell us a little about how does that do that.
1: Well, when you give to others, you, you create what is called helper's high. You release feel-good chemicals that produce happiness and joy. It's almost similar. It's, it's exactly similar to runner's high. Mm-hmm. When we exercise intensely, we produce endorphins. The same thing happens when we're giving to another human being. So okay. when, when you hold the door open for someone, or when you're, as you said, when you're smiling or waving to people, you right. are producing a different feeling inside yourself than you would have if you just put your head down and walk by them without saying anything to them. Mm. So when, when you tap into the goodness inside you, and you allow it to be shared with others, you're changing your brain. You're producing a feel-good sense. And it is called helpers high. That's why volunteers tend to feel uh, happy during the day, even though they're not being paid. They actually feel happy and they're not being paid because it's not all about money. Okay. It's about the connection that we get with other people that foster that high spirit. And when that exists in an organization, um, you you really change the complexion and the spirit and the atmosphere of the organization for the better.
2: Wow! Even though you get resistance, I mean, you have to be very persistent in doing that. I, I, it feels like creating a soulful organization uh, is not necessarily an easy thing to do when the organization hasn't been so soulful.
1: Yes, that's 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 where you know individuals have to make a decision, Carla. Because you try, you try. And then if it doesn't work and you realize that this culture is like a stone wall, then it may be time when you need to move. Okay. You you make an effort. You try to influence people. You try to model these behaviors. But if you see that you're in an organization that would not support this, I I have a client who was in politics for many years and he had to leave because he said he couldn't sleep at night. He said, you know, we're, we're lying to the public on a daily basis. And I just was becoming a person that I couldn't stand myself. Mm. So now he he went back to his law practice, and he is—he devotes some of some—he does pro uh, pro pro bono work, and he's feeling much better about himself.
2: Great, Doctor Doctor C, I'm going to have to stop right there. Uh, We're coming to the end of the hour. This has been a great conversation. There's more information in Dr. Sierra, Sierra McCauley's book, The Soulful Leader. Uh, if they want to get in touch with you, how should they reach you?
1: Um, my my website is balanceyoursuccess.com, balanceyoursuccess.com. They can reach me there and read, of, of uh, you know, I have several blogs and articles and books and so forth that people are interested could read them there.
2: Oh. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Dr. C. I really appreciate it. Um, And look forward to to reading more of your works. Uh, From Carla Walker from the Inside Out, thanks for being with us today. We greatly appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great week.
0: Thank you for listening to From the Inside Out. Be sure to join your host, Cara D. Walker, for another episode of the program next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have the best week.